Hello and welcome to another edition of Turned Out of Punk. I'm your host, Damien Abraham, and once again, I'm bringing you a conversation with someone who grew up listening to punk, may or may not still be involved in punk, but had their life changed by the genre in a major way. And today on the show, a huge guest, a legend, to put it mildly, Roger Murray of the band Agnostic Front, also a brand new published author of the book My Riot, Agnostic Front, Grit, Guts, and Glory, coming out really soon. Uh, but more on that in a second. But first, if you want to get in touch with me, you can head over to DamienAbraham.com. There's an email address there. You can send me an email. You can also find me on various forms of social media at left for damien If you would like to support this show, the best way to do that is by going over to iTunes and uh, writing a review, subscribing to this podcast, rating it. That would be awesome if you could do that. Thank you very much for all you people that do do that. Uh, and if you don't use iTunes and uh, you want to support the show, tell all your friends. Let every body know. And if you like this show and want to participate in it more, there's a Facebook page run by my brother and show producer, Tristan Abraham. You go over there at facebook.com. You can find it. And if you don't use Facebook and you want to see some of that stuff, you can go over to turnedoutapunk.tumblr.com. There's a Tumblr page where we post some of that stuff up on as well. I got to say also a huge thank you to the people at Vans and House of Vans for being so awesome and coming on board and sponsoring this podcast. Don't worry, I'm not going to ask you to fill any surveys. I'm not going to, uh, you know, you don't have to enter my promo code or anything like that. No, Vans just has given me uh, the opportunity to kind of do this podcast now, you know, upgrade my, my equipment, have whoever the heck I want on. So last week I had the singer of Five Knuckle Chuckle. This week, I've got on uh, Roger from Agnostic Front, so it goes to show you that they are not, <laughs> they are no way telling me who I can and can't have on this show, and that's awesome. So thank you very much to Vans for being so cool and letting me do this, and more on some of the other stuff they've let me do at the very end of the show, but that's at the very end of the show. First of all... What is happening this week? Well, this week on the show, we've got a huge guest, as I've talked about several times, a legend. Uh, but I'm also flying out to Tokyo. As soon as I'm done recording this, I'm going to finish packing my bag and then head out to the airport. And I'm going to go to Tokyo, Japan for three weeks to record more of this wrestling project that I've been kind of talking about off and on. Regular listeners to the show have heard me record these intros from all over the world, and I'm going to be probably recording some, well, I definitely will be recording some in Tokyo in the upcoming weeks, and hopefully recording some episodes there as well. I've got one kind of lined up that I'm pretty excited about, and I'm trying to line up some more, so um, if you're in Japan and want to hang out, hit me up, because I'm going to have uh, some free time. I'm going to be working really hard. I just got my my schedule, my, sh- my uh, call sheet for this trip my god is it exciting there's <laughs> awesome wrestling stuff on this thing oh man Woo. i'm excited i'm definitely excited to be going to japan to talk about nothing but wrestling but that is not why you are here you are not here to talk about that if you want to do to see all that stuff it's going to be coming out in the winter but uh, i will get way more way more promotion heavy on that as it comes out Uh, or comes time for that thing to come out. But that's not why you're here today. Today you are here for a legend, a legend of New York hardcore, one of the uh, 
one of the, the the Mount Rushmore of hardcore vocalists, in my opinion, Roger from Agnostic Front. Now, Roger is someone – Agnostic Front as a band is a band that's hugely influential on not just myself, tons of other bands. But in the case of myself, like early on with Fucked Up, that was – our bread and butter. We had songs named after Agnostic Front. We had AF1 and AF2, and those were songs that we wanted to write that were going to hopefully sound like they could have been left off of uh, Victim in Pain. You know, this was the band that we, we we just thought was incredible. And I still, like, I stand by those recordings. Like, they've got so many incredible songs, you know, a band that definitely has at one time or another found themselves on different sides of controversies that's for sure but also roger someone that in all of my experiences with him has been nothing but an amazing amazing person and really really nice to me and that's not just my own experiences too i've been talking to other people about how he's coming on the show and there's so many people that have really cool experiences of talking to this guy and this is someone as i'm sure you will see in his book uh my riot uh that has had a life that wouldn't lend itself to making someone a nice person. And there's a lot of legends when it, t- when it comes to New York hardcore, and there's a lot of big personalities when it comes to New York hardcore. And I can say that legitimately Roger's one of the, the sweetest, nicest people in that. And I don't mean that in a disrespectful way at all because uh, I'm sure he could also, you know, uh, still hand it out like, uh, like, you know, it was 19... 19- 85, you know, but at the same time, he's like a really nice guy. And so I was blown away to get the opportunity to sit down and talk to him. So huge thank you to the publishers of his book, Lesser Gods, for helping me set this up. And Tristan, my producer, for putting this all together for me. Uh, So this book that's coming out is called My Ride, Agnostic Front, Grit, Guts, and Glory. It's coming out on Lesser Gods. You can pre-order it now. It's there's no way this thing's not going to be an incredible read. Like, listen to this podcast, and <laughs> this is like this is just a a small appetizer of what this book promises you. This is a fun episode, so I'm not going to ramble on anymore. Uh, also, oh yeah, I should also say that uh, uh, John uh, Widerhorn is the co-author of that book as well. So I'm not going to blather on anymore about any of this. I'm going to let Roger talk to you for a second so everyone sit back relax and enjoy roger murray of agnostic front on turn out a punk roger thank you so much for coming on the show thank you for having me man appreciate it well as i was just telling you off air you're like a massive influence on me we've got some mutual friends and uh this is something that I've wanted to do for a long time. So the fact that we can make this happen before your book comes out or as your book is coming out um, is, is a huge honor. Well, thank you, man. I really greatly appreciate that. Um, so I guess I'm going to start this off, though, the way I got to start them all off, which is how did you get into punk? Do you remember the first time you ever came across the genre? Oof. Um, I would think the first time I ever came across it would be I, I used to live in uh, – in, in Passaic, New Jersey. And there was a place called the Capitol Theater. And uh, they used to do shows there all the time. And we lived directly behind the theater. And uh, at the time, you know, I was living there with my stepdad, my brothers, my kid, uh, my, my brother, not my kids, my brothers, my mom. Mm-hmm. And uh, when, when a big concert would come to shows, uh, we would 
my 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 stepdad will make a ton of will make extra money, not a ton of money, of parking all cars in 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 the backyard of the uh, of the home we rented. You know what I mean? Yeah. It was, yeah. had like a where you go in and you could just park. You could park a good you know maybe f- 10, 15 cars in here, and then we would sit on a fence, which faced the direct back of the uh, Capitol Theater, and just you know. If, if if and only when there was doors open, you could see who was hanging out, what was going on, you know, towards the backstage area, or whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, on one of those nights, I figured it out. Years, I mean, a few years later, that the Clash was playing, and um, I remember the, all the rosters being there, and that would that that was more fascinating to me than the actual Clash was playing. <laughs> the accents that the Rastafarians had and stuff like that, and. Um, and, you know, I remember the band, but it you know, didn't really kind of, because so many rock bands were playing back then, didn't kind of hit me. But I remember those them being a little like, you know, it was different. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And then, oh, let me, take, let me shut this thing off. And then um, later on, another maybe like another year or so later on, going to Florida and seeing my, my uh, hanging out with my cousin, I got turned on to like more like the, uh, like Blondie, um, let me see what else. Oh, the Ramones. I, I think was the second album, mm-hmm. and shit. That, that's kind of like I turned on to that, and then coming back home again, we moved again. We moved to uh, to Union City at the time, after after uh, Paseco was Patterson Paseco in Union City. Then my cousin Chuchi was full blown into it, and he got me more into really going to shows and stuff like that. We started going. We went to went to Max's like three times only, uh, towards the end, towards when they were about to close down, but. Um, Still got just to go the there. Very, yeah, I just got to caught one hardcore show there. I think it was the Beastie Boys and the Bad Brains, if I remember correctly. Wow! And then from there, from there is where I figured, where I learned more. There were shows going on at the A Seven Club too, because mm-hmm. they started moving shows to the A Seven Club, which is really pretty cool too. So you know, just little stuff like little word of mouth, and you know, I found one some one A, you know, uh, Rackage Records. And and from there would be word of mouth where things are going. But but, but right before that, it was also a pirate radio. I think it was called Noise the Show. It was Oi the Show, then then turned to Noise the Show. <laughs> and uh, and it was like a pirate radio. And you would hear all the the, the bands we I was familiar with, the classic band, all the Brit bands. You, you know your mm-hmm. Circle Jerks, your Black Flag, and all of a sudden you know he would play local stuff and got me into going to see local shows. That's how we found out about that Bad Brain show. Um, and then happened to be the Beastie Boys open. But that's how we found out about Fear was playing with the Young and the Users at the Mug Club. Stuff like that. That's how we found out about those shows. I would go to shows in New Jersey with my cousin prior to the New York shows. Like we would go see the Misfits. We saw them a couple times. And um, AOD and all those other bands that were playing locally mm-hmm. uh, in Jersey area because we lived in Jersey, but it was a lot closer and easier for us to go to New York because we, we all we had to do is just hop on the uh, the path train because we were we lived on the, uh, the other side of the Hudson, so it was easier for us to just hop on a train, hop on <coughs> hop on a bus to <coughs> excuse me to the path train in Jersey City, and then go across and then get out on Eighth Street and walk and walk all the way out towards the east side mm-hmm. and. And just go to the stores. Just it was it was just it was a lot more adventurous and more fun for us than just, just trying to find somebody with a car that would take us to a show, you know, in Hitsville or something like that in New Jersey. You know what I mean? 
Yeah, it's always like, and this is coming from someone who's much more of an outsider, you know, and looking at it from a distance, but it's always felt like there was like uh, such a world apart from that New York hardcore scene versus that stuff in New Jersey that you're kind of talking about, like the buy our record stuff, like oh. with the exception of mental abuse and you guys be kind of connecting there, there didn't seem to be as much interaction as you'd expect being so oh, there close. Was a, there was a, no, that, I mean, I'll I take that back. There was, there was a, there was a ton of interaction. We played almost all those for instance, all the bands on, uh, let me see what label is that, that, uh, the, the shore, shore core, all those bands. Okay. Yeah. The, uh, um, what, what, what label the worst. Yeah. The, uh, the uh, mother uh, records. Yeah. Mother records. Oh, we've, we, we've, they used to come and play seven all the time with us. A lot of those bands, we played with just about almost all those bands, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And of course, mental abuse and bedlam and AOD and all that. But it was, to, what, my my democratic democratically I mean that's probably not even a damn word who knows <laughs> I was just closer I was just you know living in Union City yeah. New Jersey the opposite side of the Hudson it's a lot easier and and being young and not I'm not unable to drive yet it's so much easier just jump on a bus to go to here and go across here it was just a lot easier but we used to all before that we all we all hung out all all these a lot of these early bands like the cycles and all so we were all hanging out in Jersey and all that stuff in this, we there's a rehearsal space where all these bands would play, you know, mm-hmm. and that's where we hung out forever, you know, being on the Jersey in North Bergen. And I remember getting calls from uh, Dave from AOD wanted to interview my, my first band, which was, uh, was it the cycles? No, it was pre cycles. It there was, was a uh, distorted youth. Oh, distorted youth. Of course. Yeah. I played in distorted youth uh, before the psychos, and I played in Rabies before Distorted Youth. So Rabies is more like a Susie, Susie the Banshees type of band. And uh, Distorted Youth had uh, I was I was playing bass. Andre, remember Andre, twenty twenty one Gun Salute. What was the name of his band? Um, uh, I can't remember off the top of my head. Uh, 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 the Press. Oh, Are you familiar yeah. With the Press. The Oi Band. Yeah, Andre was. Yeah, Andre was our singer. Uh, um, Dave was our drummer. And Elio Espana, who did almost all, everybody's tattoo in New York City, and mostly mine too, was uh, the guitar player. And wow. that was before the cycles. Did that band record? You know, but we never. No, we never recorded nothing, man. Oh, that would be amazing to hear that. Mo- mo- every, almost everything we did was a cover. It was almost all oi, obviously. Uh, <laughs> It was great. It was like an oi cover band, and and uh, we, I don't know if we ever wrote any originals, to be honest <laughs> with you. But we just—that's what we loved, you know. Yeah, yeah. And then I got into the cycles. I found out about the cycles going on one of my trips with my cousins to one seven one eight of the um, uh, Rat Cage Records. I saw a little sign, and it said. Um, a bass player needed cycles, you know, bass player must have this attitude, something crazy. I'm like, oh, that sounds like something I want to be a part of, you know? <laughs> and then I called and, and next thing you know, uh, I went to the audition and at the time it was in New York. Of course they were, they were in New York, but then uh, Billy moved to Jersey, which made it a lot easier and it was cool. And then we started practicing. But uh, but yeah, the, the reason why I, I, it was easier for me to, to go to New York was because I was literally like, I mean, the bus ride, three stops to the path, one stop, Jersey straight direct, you know, get off 8th Street and walk across. It was just fun. It was just great to go right into the city and, and you know, 
not have to worry about it. You didn't need a ride or nothing. All I knew was then, but when, first of all, we'd, we'd jump the train, the path. We'd have to pay for the bus, but jump the path and we're there, you know? Yeah, yeah. Give, given that you've got, like, you know, you're in rabies, you're doing more of the Susie and the Banshees stuff, and then you're into the Oi stuff. Were you venturing to see any of the other kind of punk stuff that was happening in New York at the time? Like, were you checking out any of those, like, the Contortions or uh, Teenage Jesus and any of those types of bands? Well, I mean, I like, uh, prior to, uh, I, I mean, I love the Stimulators. Yeah. I used to go to as many shows as I could. Stimulators. And the Stimulators would always play with some pretty cool, interesting bands. I remember seeing them with Dirty Looks, which I really do like Dirty Looks a lot. Yeah. Or... Um, or uh, let me see what other bands they played with. Um, Did you ever see one of the Mad? Any of those crazy Mad shows? Oh, I, 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 th- I think I've caught the one of the last Mad shows. Um, they had, when when they had the uh, the girl bass player, I think, or something like that. Okay. Did they have a did they have a girl bass player or sing or, or guitar player or something like that? Bass player, I think. I've I've got like um, that. Yeah discography cd that came out and there's like live photos from that kind of era so yeah i think she was the bass player yeah i think i caught like i think she was towards the end too i think i yeah. caught her one of those shows i mean i saw the blessed play mm-hmm. which was really which i enjoyed a lot but those are more like straight up there you're going into the punk era stuff for sure mm-hmm. but i'm talking about like more weirder more of the, of the power pop stuff too yeah and the new romantic, new romantic stuff, you would call it, or any of that stuff. Yeah, I seen a lot of those bands at the Mud Club. They used to mostly at the Peppermint Lounge. They used to always play. I remember seeing. Uh, I'm trying to think of names off the top of my head. There's so many bands, I can't really think of it. You know, a lot. But what about I that seen band? a lot of. So, what about that band, The Dots? Did you ever see them by any chance? I, I did. I don't think I did. Okay. I don't think I did. I think that guy produced a lot of, uh, like he produced the first Bad Brain 7-inch too, but they were like, that's the thing about, I guess, that New York scene and, and that New Jersey scene, that whole area, it was just so fertile and there's just so much amazing music across the spectrum of punk right. and new wave. And in the places that we ended up, like like all the, all the rehearsal spaces, like Tukasa and stuff on uh, 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 7, 6th Street and Avenue B, a lot of those bands <coughs> and played there. Also, don't forget uh, what's his name who, who who engineered a lot of the bad brain stuff. Uh, he recently passed away. Um, oh, uh, Williams. Um, uh, yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. 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 Yeah. This. I, it, it, what, what was his band's name again? Uh, well, he wasn't he in Blood Clot. Was was he in Blood Clot? I'm like, didn't he, am I mistaken on that? I thought he was in the, that lineup and then he had another band after that, but he did roar, right? That was his label. Yes. Yeah. And then, and he always played in one of those early punk bands too. Oh yeah. Did, you're right. About. Oh my, he, he was, I can't, it's on the tip of my tongue and I just, man, I'm just, I just woke up, man. I'm having my coffee. <laughs> <laughs> we'll edit this part out. We'll edit it. Waking this. up. Yeah, don't worry, don't worry. Take your time. Like I'm, uh, believe me, this is a. I'm enjoying every second of this, Roger. So even the part right. where we can't remember things, so it's fine by me. Um, where did you kind of go from, like, be back to like before you started kind of becoming part of the scene? So your cousin's into going to the shows. Did you immediately when he brought you to the first show? And do you remember what the very very first show you went to was? But did you immediately feel like I belong here? Yeah, I mean, I was I was already feeling that way from going to the, you know, I mean, going to the shows in Jersey. Yeah, but I mean, like, what, sorry, know, what was your but, first show in Jersey, actually? What was, like, the first sort of just punk show period you went to? 
One of the ones I do remember was that Hitsville show for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> I think it was sometime around Christmas. I remember the, the Misfits played. I don't know what year. Could have been 81. Must have been around 81. They played a show around Christmas at Hitsville. There was another place in uh, Pisake they used to do shows. Um, um, I'm trying to remember. Well, apparently somebody's uh, Aldo's Hideaway, is that right? Yeah, that, that, that's I think a, it was called. Yeah, I've heard of Aldo's. I think that was, yeah, I think that was in Pasig. And um, so I saw AOD there a bunch of times. I used to, I love, I still do love AOD. Mm-hmm. AOD is one of one of my favorite Jersey bands, to be honest with you. And I love Bedlam, too. I thought Bedlam was great. Um, speaking of Jersey, the worst is just, phenomenal yeah i love the worst i tell everybody how great the worst is you know and then that, that worst L- i mean the single is great that worst lp is is till this date one of my favorite 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 like up there in a top three fucking hardcore records you know i love the worst totally agree that's um, awesome did you ever see chronic sick were you a fan of them at all i saw them uh man i i like i enjoy I, you know what i, I really Here's a little secret of mine. I tell you, one of my all-time favorite bands is Mark Truth and the Liars. Yeah, I love, I love, absolutely love bad punk rock. It's like <laughs> bad pizza. I, you know, I love bad pizza too. I mean, I prefer really good pizza, but I, I love bad pizza too, and I, I love bad punk rock. You know, and Mark Truth and the Liars was my my bad ultra bad pizza. I fucking loved it. You know. <laughs> That's awesome, and uh, and some of those bands. Like I remember, I remember uh, speaking of was it Chronic Sick? I, I don't think. I mean, even Gen. I love Genocide from Jersey too. Yeah, like, fucking yeah. just, just. I mean, I love shit like that. Real shit, you know. I first got into like more of the Brit side, more of the you know Pistols like and punk, you know, attitude and and rock more rockier than fast, you know, more yeah. rock and roll than. The, Fast, and then also like getting into the fastest stuff. Like you know, your your minor threat came in and changed uh, bad race, changed it around to the fast stuff. But I grew, and what I really loved the most was the slower, grungier. Like I love that band, the fuck ups from um, from California, from San Francisco. <laughs> That's oh, awesome. Love, you know what I mean? I love that yeah. real dirt, real like fucking like genuine messy drunk punk you know what i mean well i i this is a question and, uh, I used that's to, what I was into. well this is a question i used to ask a lot on this podcast but i kind of stopped but I, I feel like i have to ask it now given the fact that you said you didn't really you know you saw the clash but it was just kind of something that didn't really register with you are you more of a sex puzzles fan than a clash fan well you know that's a good question i love the clash and i've saw i saw them a bunch of times never saw the pistols and i regret not seeing them when it came back around i really do i i regret that Mm-hmm. Um, another big regret was the uh, the Shea Stadium class show that I walked out on the hoop because I was one of those cool kids that cool punk rock kids and you know you don't you walk out on a who you know yeah. what I mean yep yep like you're bam- I was one of those idiots and I still regret it today I've never seen the who really I got into rock and roll. yeah I've got into rock and roll after I got into punk rock <laughs> I, I, my whole my whole my whole roots are to understand this. I'm Hispanic. I was born in Cuba. I came to America, so I grew up on Latin music. Mm-hmm. I grew up on salsa, merengue, mm-hmm. and then that all shifted to Motown, and from Motown became disco. So those are my roots, and then I discovered punk rock from like that. You know, I don't. I, 
I mean, I knew people were listening to bands like ACDC and 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 those rock bands. I knew they were there. I knew some of my friends. I remember going to my friend's house once and he played an ACDC record. But, you know, I at that time when he played me that ACDC record, um, I, I thought the fucking the Sex Pistols was the best shit in the world, you know? <laughs> when I still do. I, you know, I still do. I don't care. Yeah. But... I never got to discover rock and roll. I never was that kid. I discovered rock and roll after, after I got into hardcore and punk and hardcore. I was like, oh shit, the who, this is cool. Led Zeppelin, I never heard of Led Zeppelin until after, or I still prefer the who or Zeppelin. Just stuff yep. like that. I, got I 100% that agree stuff. with you there. That's a, uh, I definitely agree. And I saw the who last year and they were still good. It was crazy. Okay. Now you're asking me about the pistols or, 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 the, or clash. the clash. Yeah. Right. I think honestly, when you put out never mind the bollocks, if 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 you got a, any fucking true punk rock bone in your fucking body, if that doesn't fucking do it to you, I don't think you do. Never mind the bollocks has got to be the ultimate punk record. I know it's rock and roll, but guess what? It was punk rock. There's yeah. a term there, rock after punk. What do you expect? And most of those bands were doing that. Even the Clash, they were just screwed rock and roll bands. I love the Clash's Green Album, of course. I love I love Give Enough Rope. And that was one of my favorite Clash records. When London Calling came out, it was a humongous disappointment to me and to a lot of my peers. We were like, what the fuck is this? Mm-hmm. It took me, I respect it now. I really do love London Calling. I could sit there and listen to the whole album. I'm like, wow, this is great. But I wasn't about musicianship or anything like that to me back then. It was about like, this didn't seem punk rock to me. You know what I mean? And uh, I, I mean, it's really hard to pick one or the other. Mm-hmm. But if... I think I will have to go with the pistols, man. I really do. I think that never mind the box is just ace. I, I couldn't agree and more. You know, agree speaking more. of which, I got a great never mind the bollocks story. Mm-hmm. Um, a good friend of mine, Spacely, you know, old, I don't know if you're familiar with it. You probably won't. He's one of the old timers on the, uh, on the original punk scene in New York. Mm-hmm. Um, he died. He passed away. He OD'd. They did a movie after him called Gringo. If you want to look it up, it was it was like a one of the first. It was basically on his life. It was, and they had a huge mural of his face on St. Mark's, and, wow. he, and he was so happy when that came out. I was like, "Oh, look, we were standing there, look at this mural." I'm like, "Wow," and I'm like, "I guess this must be something popular or big, you know?" It was yeah. just a mural of Spacely. Anyway, he was he used to get strung out and stuff, and and he, he would sell his records and stuff. I remember on St. Mark's. Uh, I, I I picked up a couple of very first pressings of the Clash, first pressings from the UK because he he traveled and he knew everybody. Basically, uh, I forgot what band he was in. He was even in a band, one of the early New York bands, and um, like the Mumps or he something, sold or, or like a like that kind uh, of era. Yeah, I'm talking about straight up '70s era. I mean, if you talk to anybody, if you talk to like your Howie Pyro, anybody that or Harley, anybody that was around, yeah pre-meet you know they'll know who the hell spacely is you know mm-hmm. but um anyway i remember buying the sex pistols record off him and i only bought it because the back was pink i was like oh this shit's pretty cool i had no titles at the time i'm like i would and it was he sold to me for three bucks you know it's no big deal it turned out being one of the first 1000 pre not the main not the pre-main one the pre one the one the ones that leaked with the a1 b1 oh, matrix yeah oh wow that's yeah. crazy I, I still have it in my collection, and I, and I still have those those Clash first first presents from him in my collection. And he was a good dude, man. You know, he just got strung out on stuff, you know, and like a lot of the a lot of the early punks did. But um, 
that's a that's that's just a memory of mine. Speaking of the Sex Pistols, well, like you know, like talking about. Well, I guess I got to ask you now. Do you still collect records? Do you actively go? Oh, yeah. Stuff? I I have a. I, I unfortunately went through a fire and I lost a lot of records and then I uh, I have a lot of records I used to have of course still mm-hmm. and then once in a while I will I will um because my shit is a lot of my stuff got pretty much trash you know being traveling with it and you know what I mean well, we played records man you know back then yeah yep. we got a record we played it there was no such thing as record collecting you know <laughs> like I mean remember the first time I ever heard about record collecting was when the, I think. When uh, Poison Idea put out that record, record collectors are <laughs> pretentious assholes. Um, yeah, I was like, <laughs> and I didn't get it. I didn't get it then. I get, I solely get it, strongly get it today. You know what I mean? <laughs> but uh, we would get records. You know, we would play them. And you know how many bands gave me records? I have records from. I mean, I've from every band in New York City. I mean, they've given to me. I've, some of them I've never even played. Like all those, a lot of Warzone, a lot of. Uh, Gorilla Bis- I got the Gorilla Biscuit's first demo tape that <laughs> only like five were made. I just showed it recently to Siv. He goes, "You still got that?" I'm like, "Yeah, you gave it to me." He goes, "I don't think any- I don't think anybody I I only made five of these. I don't think they ever exist anymore." I'm like, "I well, well, I got one, you know." Roger, you're giving uh, all these record collectors heart palpitations right now. I've shown it to a few people. They're like, "Holy shit!" They've never. I mean, Gorilla Biscuit is a big band you collect with, of course. And then, and then let's. Putting all the other stuff aside, I mean, I've got everything from like the original first press, bad brains, with sleeves, with everything, and on. I do. Mm-hmm. I, I don't tell people a lot of my stuff. It's it's just my stuff. Yeah. But I most importantly, I have everything AF, which is to me is the most important. I have the United Blood reels. Uh, really? I have the you master reels. Yeah, I have the masters on a quarter inch tape, and then I have the the mix that you know you take it from the masters and you mix it down to a to a quarter inch tape yeah. too. Mm-hmm. Two track from four track to two track. I have those, and then I have the 1989 release when they retook it again from the master tapes and took it down again to two. Mm-hmm. So I have two masters, the, the 83 and the 89, and I have the original release, and I have the test pressings from the 89. I have every, I have my acetates and test pressings <laughs> from. I have my test pressings from from everything from Victim Paint on, and um, you know I mean yeah, yeah I'm. I do mostly AF stuff and mostly stuff I love to hear and play. And I have a phenomenal Misfits collection too. I love the Misfits. Well, I want to stuff like uh, I just I just wanted to like you know well, there's so many places I want to go now right now. But uh, first of all, uh, you know since we're talking record collecting stories, I traded all my metal records, not all of them, but most of my metal records in one day for a copy of United Blood, an original with the skinhead through the eye label on the back because uh, I well, had you to did, have did, that. I- yeah. You, you did good, my friend. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I had to have that more than I needed any Metallica record. I'll tell you that much. Yeah. Um, but um, I guess is that why, like, you know, because I can remember when that Ron Leash CD came out, like, there's so much amazing documentation of of AF's early career. Is it because you, you guys kind of made a point, or, or I guess you specifically made a point of trying to keep everything? All that stuff comes directly from me. I had it all. And, um, and because I had it all... Um, I'm with the wrong leash. I sent them all those photos and everything that was on that CD. Everything was for me. And, uh, you know, that, that tape was a, the, an original tape that unfortunately has disintegrated right now. Oh. But I still have the tape case. And, and it's funny that, that it's just a cassette tape. I yeah, have the yeah, original yeah, recording. Yeah, and you sang like, on it too. So, 
Right. The original recording was dropped onto this original cassette tape that I, I still own. It says United Blood on it. But it disintegrated. It was the weirdest thing. It was all there. And then when I went to, because I recently photographed everything. I'm working on a website right now. I'm trying to build a website where it shows everything, everything I have. Plus, I have everything. I think people would love to see that or a scrapbook. I've been going back and forth. Besides all my original AF T-shirts, all the flyers, all the um, my original bracelets, my original spike bracelets, my spike belts. Oh, I mean, I got amazing. These, you know, and I thought maybe it'd be like ever since my my friend. I don't know if you if, if you know Jay who put out that book. Um, mm. uh, uh, what is it? Record a. Uh, just recently, record aficionado. Record like that. aficionado. That one. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, Jay, Jay put that out, and I, I was looking at it. I was like, oh, that was pretty cool. He did that. I was like, man, I could do something like this with just everything AF, and people would just bug out seeing these tapes, these acetates, these test pressings, the T-shirts, yeah. the one of a kind. You know. So I thought about maybe about. It was funny you say that because, like, just before I got on the phone with you, I was going through like all my books and I was looking at the New York Hardcore book and just like you know uh, interviews with you and my zines. And I was like, ah, oh, I wish AF did a scrapbook. So it's funny that you bring it up now because I was just thinking I would love to buy that. So yeah, sign up one copy I, sold I, already. I think I'm gonna do it. I just you know I just got to get the camera and do it. Yeah, you know? no, I got you know what it is I like I like to do things right. You know, to be honest with you, Damien, you know I'm I'm that type of guy. I mean. I, I'm, I guess my wife says OCD, but yeah, I, I like to do shit right. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to just throw shit together and 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 here you go. Because yeah, I could do that. I could throw shit together. Here you go. I'm, I'm sure people would like it. Mm-hmm. But I want it like I want it to look like, like you know, kind of like in a really great artsy-ish kind of way. Like like, like that book Jay did. I thought was pretty fucking cool. Yeah. Like, okay, I can get with that. It looks it looks really cool. And I'm a little bit of a Hey, look, I come from the old New York scene. Everybody was a little artsy back then, you know. That's why they didn't like the, the New York scene because they yeah. claimed it was artsy, you know. And, yeah, well, guess what? It was, you know. We had Andy Warhol leading the whole fucking shit back then, you know. <laughs> well, yeah, and the Velvet Undergrounds from there, right? Like Exactly. It's, it's in, it's and in all the DNA. His prodigies and, you yeah. know, like, was I mean, New York was an amazing place. It was thriving. All those storefronts, you go there today – which is disgusting, and I don't even know what the, what it, they are anymore. Those clothing boutiques and shit—they were filled with our real artist galleries. I mean, they, not gal- they weren't even called galleries. They were they weren't even called studios. They were storefronts, and they were always open. And it was music playing, if like rehearsal spaces. They were either rehearsal space or there were artists with the doors open. You come in and see what they were doing. It was thriving. It was full of art, and not just music art, just in general art. And it was it was just a a colorful place to be in, in such a dark era. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. New York was was dark, gringy, dangerous. And then you would find these storefronts full of life and color. It was amazing, you know? And, you know, that's part of me. Mm-hmm. I like. It's funny because, you, you know, like you hear about the New York punk scene and you hear this a lot when people talk about, you know, like it's, I guess it's become almost fabled at this point, but the, the rivalry between New York and Boston early on is that New York had much more of an arty scene. There was a lot more, it was just like a lot more open and, and Boston was like a much more regressive kind of like monolithic kind of like, this is the way we're looking at the world kind of scene. Is that a fair reading of it? Or is that like a, well, a misreading? I've got my fear uh, to say about that in my book, but um, you know, that rivalry has been blown out of proportion throughout the years. You know, like we, you, I mean, just like probably a lot of the shit that's 
and a lot of things have been blown out of proportion after a year. Like, who speaks to a burning bush? But anyway, <laughs> yeah, speak to a burning bush today. Guess where that's going to get you? You tell me. Could you answer that to me, for me, Damien? I think it might get you. If you were in the middle <laughs> speaking right now to a burning bush, where would you end up? Uh, either in some position in government or, or locked up. Or in a mental institution, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay, well, anyway, that's where I'm going with this. I mean, yeah, it got blown out of proportion, but it was genuine. It was real. Yeah. You know, but it, it just had to be checked and had to be dealt with. You know, both there's people on both sides of, 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 of uh, the Boston and New York, tough guys, you know. Mm-hmm. But the thing was, I think what happened was being that New York was still so artsy and it's still full of, you know, punk. I mean, come on, we had the blondie talking heads. We had so much shit going on there. Velvet on the ground. These bands are still active, you know, mm-hmm. and still part of the scene, you know, and and humongous. And it was, like they said, thriving on the art and fashion. New York was the capital of art and fashion at the time. And most probably today, too. Yeah. You know, and, um, and there was that little bit of jealousy. And, of course, but we there was also the younger generation. And they failed to to think that there was the younger generation who was changing with your minor threats, your SSD controls. You know, we, I love SSD control, one of my favorite bands. And uh, they failed to think that these people do exist in other, other places like New York. And that's when they got checked. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And uh, they had to be checked. And it was dealt with appropriately. Uh, I think the, 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 the tip of the iceberg is when we went to go play in Boston. And, uh, and then that, they bought it to us. And, but we, we, you know, we didn't go up there just us to play in Boston. It was us, Murphy's Law. I think Void played that show, too. <laughs> Faith of, I can't remember if it was Faith or Void, one of those two. Uh, and I don't think they even got to play because... Oh hell, broke loose! It was a VHW hall. I'm trying to remember, you know, so much memory, so many memories. But Al Barr was at that show, and, and it's funny because in the very forward of my book, he tells a story which is great because you know, I go ahead and tell my story later on, and his story just complements mine perfectly. I mean, see, this is what happened, you know. Yeah. And um, you know, those guys thought they could handle shit, but we stick our we stick our, our ladies on them, <laughs> and you know, you don't hit ladies, you know. And our ladies were tough, man. I'll tell you, they they knocked out some dudes, man. He went out of prom. And then shit hit the feeling and shit, you know, we had to do what we had to do. Yeah. But next time SSD Control came to play uh, New York City, the first thing that Spring had said was, we're here to play for you, not against you. Mm-hmm. And uh, Spring was always a cool dude. You know, it just got out of control. The militant stuff got a little, little out of hand. And we in New, in New York had this thing called the no edge. It was a straight edge. We had a no edge. You know, there was nothing really straight edge about New York. You know, we were just these wild kids living at all at crazy hours, staying up all night. So we had the, the X with the O. That was a no edge. Yeah. And the X is a straight edge. And people sometimes look at them and the, the X is sideways. It isn't up and down like the Celtic cross and shit like that. Yeah. But people tell them, oh, look at these guys in New York. Had Celtic. No, those, that's no edge. You know what I mean? It's yeah. different. It's not up and down. And maybe one went up and down because it, the, it was put a marker or somebody put it on your hand, you know? Yeah. But it's not. That's not the point of it, you know? But um, that was what we had. And, you know, after everything after everything settled, was said and done, look, we all became, like, really close and really good friends. We played with Slash out so many years. Uh, all the bands from Boston, you know? It was just that... It had to be settled. It had to be like, hey, this, this, you know, 
Of course, that's what it was. This is what it is today. Either we come together, or either this is what hardcore is about, or we, we'll keep doing this. You know, but you, you know, it'll be like back and forth. You come to our area, we're going to deal with it. We go to you, you're going to deal with it. it. Doesn't make any sense. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, it just it like it all it all doesn't. Was there any other places that there were those issues? Like obviously Austin, no. Texas, and the Bad Brains had their issues, but it doesn't seem like anywhere but that brief moment in history where there was Boston, New York beef it was just boston and new york and uh it was it got a little bit nasty towards the end like i mean i mean you, you could hear the stories directly from dys or ssd like it was like you know they'd come to play a show and and i don't know what they were thinking man <laughs> we had some pretty reckless dudes here in new york man i don't know what they were thinking but they they were thinking and yeah. uh and 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 it got handled and then eventually that stopped. And we're all good friends, man. I mean, I love, I, I, I mean, I, I got to tell you, SSD Control is one of my absolute favorite bands, you know, and influential. If it wasn't for Springer from SSD Control, and I say it all the time, he's my influence as a singer. Yeah. Him and uh, I say Roger Daltrey from The Who because I like the way he swung his mic. Yep. And Springer, Springer to me was like, was, I, you know, this is before I really got into singing. I was a bass player most of the time, you know, and Springer to me was like, I, I loved his approach, everything, you know? Well, where did like, and I, where did that musical influence come from? Like, did you come from a musical family? Like when you first mentioned you played bass first on, like, was that just through punk or were you playing instruments prior to, to getting into punk? No, no, I, I, I didn't play anything prior. Uh, my family, my, my father loved Mexican music. Mm-hmm. So he listened to a lot of Mexican music. But there's there's relatives in Cuba still that are musicians, and they they love music, of course. But I learned I self I'm self taught bass player. I learned I pretty much put on a Pretenders record or whatever the hell it was, and I played along to it. You know, yep, yep, shit like that. You know, I'm a <laughs> self proclaimed uh, Devo, whatever the fuck I wanted to put on. And I remember one of the easiest things. Yeah, it, you know what I mean. You get it. Yep. And then um, I I just I don't know I don't know I, I can't read music. Um, and I, I know an A, B, C, D, you know, and then I, 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 if you tell me B on this, I don't know what you're talking about. Let me sh- just show me then. Okay. I know. And then I can find it on another somewhere else. So more, even when I was in prison, I played in a Latin band. Really? And, um, yeah, it was a La Fuerza Latina. We had a band. It was, and I joined the band because I wanted to get the strings to tattoo, you know, <laughs> which I did, which I did. And, uh, and I actually enjoyed it. We got to play all the festivals in, in prison. You get festivals and, um, three times a year, if I remember correctly, there is the a festival for each, believe it or not, each race, if you want to call it, okay. there's a black festival, a Spanish festival and a white festival. And, um, you know, like I used to say, three shades of green, yeah. and we were the only band, so we would play for all the. You know, I, I know I learned how to play Santana, I learned how to play everything on bass, you know, because oye como va, you know, all the stuff I learned, you know, playing with my band, La Fuerza Latina, and I was, and we were doing good, you know, we would play like all the because fe- that's another reason we did because the festivals in prison are pretty cool. Yeah, what it, what the, how that goes is it's a festivity it's in you know no everybody's locked down nobody could come out but the yards open and your family comes in the prison in okay. the actual grounds in the actual um you know the yard and it's, it's a little stage is set up 
And I remember Freddie came, and I, you know, it was important to me. Freddie came with Amy and my daughter, and I wanted Freddie to be there because I wanted him to see what it was like. And I was like, man, you don't want to be here. I mean, he came during the Black Festival, the Black, and and, and I had a, a one of my one of my really good friends. I had a couple of really good Black friends in there. One dude was his name, this guy named Coco, huge dude. This guy would make any bodybuilder look like <laughs> like a crackhead. <laughs> I never seen I never seen anybody so big in my life. You know what I mean? And uh, Freddie got to meet him and Jay, my other friend, and, and these these dudes were good dudes, man. Yeah. And and I was, you see what this is? What's like, man? You don't want to be here. This is crazy. But you know, and we just, even though we were the Latin, we were all Latin, but we were play the music they requested. We wrote, we learned it, and we played for them and their guests, which was their wives and their kids. And then when it was over, they all left, and everything went back to normal. And that would happen three times a year until we had a riot. Um. Which which was a pretty much a blacks against white riot, and uh, it it didn't have nothing to do with the Spanish people to be honest with you. But until that happened, and the band was this this was uh, disabled dis- disabled, and we weren't allowed to play festivals, disbanded. And then I remember our singer, his name was Orea, which means ears, big ears. Mm-hmm. And I remember he uh, he got paroled, and we were so bummed. <laughs> <laughs> the band had to break up. We lose like he was good we're like we're losing our singer we're bummed we're like oh fuck and like we're like well we got to try to get a new singer it was like two three weeks in and guess what oreja shows back up <laughs> when you get pro you come back you, when you cut when you get something happens yeah unfortunately you go right back where you were you know there's, a tragedy, back up. That, there's a tragedy in that yeah, reunion could, yeah could you do a correctional facility here comes oreja he's so excited to see us and we're like fuck the band's back together you know <laughs> it's so fun he fuck you know these people are just they can't be out there, man. But, you know, yeah. we had a good time with the band. We even got, um, th- we got to the point of we got, they let us have um, clothing and, and they let us have these these really tacky, like something like you see like the, some tacky ass band from the <laughs> 60s where, you know, like polyester, like blue, wavy. Sh- I mean, I wish you, I wish you could have taken a picture of this stuff. It would have been hilarious. Been Nobody would have, you know, and, uh, Really, the band was called La Fuerza Latina, the 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 Latin Force. Yeah, no, and unfortunately, we never recorded nothing either. <laughs> well, I was gonna, I was gonna say this is like the the great lost chapter of your uh, recording career that never happened. Unfortunately, this is, um, but that's still like, but I guess like going back in time, what was it like then? Because you're you're like, if there was gonna be a Mount Rushmore of punk vocalists, you're you're on that, and so. What was that transition like from you going to be from being a bass player to being a vocalist? Like, had you ever had aspirations? Like, were you looking at people like Lux Interior and and, and you know Johnny Rotten and being like, I want to do that, or was it just kind of like by no. circumstance? It just happened. I was uh, I happened to be at a show. Uh, it was 1983 to be exact, somewhere in April, and I was at a um, what was it Bennett? There's Lights Out. Um, uh, uh, Urban Waste. No, 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 no. From California. Oh, from like Cal. Uh, no, no, no. Angry, angry, angry Simones. Angry Simones. Yeah. Yeah. Like sorry. Angry Simones at Great Gildersleeves. And prior to that, that day earlier, I went to St. Mark's place and I decided to shave my mohawk. I used to have a mohawk, you know. Mm-hmm. And and that's all. I'd shave my mohawk. I would go to these shows and stuff, and people knew who I was from the cycles and stuff like that. But once I shaved my head, I was so socially accepted into the. The, the inside more 
group, the people that really didn't like this. Some of them, some of them used to Billy Psych was to get beat up all the time, but he loved it. I think he was becoming a fucking maniac. He would love to go inside and get his nose broken and come back out bleeding. He'd say, oh, this is great. I'm like, dude, you just, you know, he's not, he was out of his mind. It's funny because like, um, when John, uh, when, when John Joseph was on the podcast, he talked about Billy getting beaten up all the time. Like, it seems like, like you said, like it's maybe yeah. something that he wanted to happen to him after a certain point. Yeah. Billy used to get beat up all the time, especially when in the early days of the cycles and probably later on, who knows? But um, then I shaved my head and I went to the Angry Small Show and then I was doing my thing, you know, jumping in the pit, going nuts. And I got approached by Rabies and, and Adam. They're like, hey, hey, uh, you want to, and Vinny was there too, hey, you want to sing in my band? And I was like, well, I was like looking at them and I'm like, are these guys for real? I'm like, I, I, like, I'm not a singer, A. I knew the band. Yeah. And uh and Vinny used to Vinny Vinny loved seeing the cycles and Vinny's like, Yeah, join the band, you know, come 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 around come to our practice. And I was thinking, Oh, last time I saw him they had Jimmy the Russian singer. I was like, oh, I, I, I I didn't know what was going on. And then I was I was with my girlfriend at the time, her name was Chessie, and I I I was like, She's she was there for the whole thing too. She's watching hearing the conversation. She goes, She goes, You should do it, you should do it. And I'm like, but I'm not a singer. I sang with the cycles and played bass. So did Stu, played sang and played guitar. We didn't have a singer back then. And then we eventually got, uh, we eventually got, um, um, who we had a whole bunch of crazy people audition for us. But we eventually got Steve to sing. Yeah. But I, it wasn't my thing. I was always hiding behind a bass. You get it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then my girlfriend talked me into it. So um, I went, and the rest is history. But the best, the funny thing about it is that there was a rule, and, and I didn't know about this rule until I joined, of course, and I was in, and Rabia's rules was no girlfriend. <laughs> uh, your head had to be shaved, and there was one more rule. I'm trying to think about it. I can't remember. I had to get to my book. But anyway, so then I had to break up my girlfriend. She was so fucking upset. <laughs> so you asked, told me to do it. So I broke up with her. It was great. And then, uh, it's five years later when, when Adam left around Christmas, I remember and then spitefully she started dating him, which I didn't really care. You know, yeah. I had, I had a girlfriend anyway, no matter what, but I guess he didn't want no serious girlfriends. Rabies is nuts, you know, <laughs> either way you put him, who was serious at fucking 17, 18 years old, you know, anyway, you know. But like, I guess that's but, the thing um, is like that, that kind of like you guys became the band, like you guys put out a seven inch, like you did so much that I guess that like that kind of focus and drive early on kind of set the course. Well, you know what I was, was, I mean, it was a phenomenal bands in New York. I don't even have to tell you, you know, you know, your history. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the difference was with us and it was even from the beginning before I joined the band. Before I joined the band, there was something special about Gnostic Front. With John Watson, the original lineup, Diego, uh, Robbie Crick Crash, and Vinny, there was always something special. There was, you know what? They, they were really the New York hardcore scene, the, the, the start of it, of the real, you know, what was going on in New York City centrally, not borally. You know, there, we had, there, there was, of course, it was uh, Murphy's Law. Uh, urban wastes a lot of these bands were from queens or mm-hmm. brooklyn but there was this is a band that was new york based new york city you know what i mean mm-hmm. and there was something special about that band always you know and uh it was it was and, and you could see like i always i always say that that one famous show in camden new jersey which featured uh 
if you remember that show, it was uh, Minor Threat, SSD Control, Agnostic Front, Flat Democracy, I believe. Yeah. I went to the show with those cycles. We, we, we went there to support our, our team. It was basically the best of hardcore at the time. All the A-teams is the way I looked at it. And we drove all the way from New York to, to, to support Agnostic Front. That was our team. You know what yeah, I mean? Like yeah. our, and uh, they were picked for that. You know what I mean? It was, there, was, there was a lot of other bands they could have picked. But for some reason, Agnostic Front was the band that was really represented in New York City. And uh, bef- so before I joined, it was always that. And it was always that. It was really a strong, connected New York City um, band. And then, you know, those were always our values and, and our thing anyway. And we were always genuine and, uh, and, and straight up and honest with people. I think that carried a long ways. I think people want to be, uh, you know, want to be kind of associated to something that feels genuine and real. And I- I think they always caught that with Agnostic Front. That a lot of ba- a lot. I mean, I'm not saying the other bands didn't have it, but for some reason we were like one of the first. Besides, Kraut was like the first big New York band. Mm-hmm. If you want to say hardcore, but it was mostly punk. And, and you know, I, I'll tell everybody, and I'll tell everybody till this day, Victim and Pain to me is, is a punk record. You know that term, a hardcore punk record. That term started separating kind of right around then. Even Minor Threat, all those Minor Threat records are punk records. They're punk records to us. Then all of a sudden, it's, I'm sure if you ask Ian McKay, he'll probably tell you, yeah, those are all punk records. And eventually, the terminology really started to get split, hardcore and punk, you know. But back then, it was just hardcore punk, you know. And um, like I would say, man. you could argue that I think Victim in Pain is that point. You know, like, I've, obviously, that's a hardcore punk record. But after that, like, the idea, and I was going to ask you, is this the point where New York shifts, like, at, when, you know, obviously the Seven Inches is out before this, but, like, at Victim in Pain, when you guys are, like, the, the the band that you became, you know, is is that where it be kind of, like, you know, that old scene that you were talking about, that old punk scene in New York kind of fades away and it becomes that New York hardcore scene? I would, I would you know, I almost think so. I, I almost agree with you on that. I remember playing one show that was strictly in my mind and strong till date. We were playing a show at the Rock Hotel on Jane Street. With it was Kraut and Agnostic Front. I forgot who were the openers. I think maybe the Cycles played that show too. Okay, I think I've seen a flyer um, for that. I, maybe. Yeah, because I, I played both. I think. Oh wow! I played bass and I played Agnostic Front for that one too. So anyway, that was a pivoting point, period, for our career. That's when we, because we went on. It was. Ex- the victim of pain was already out and it was explosive it was just amazing people just victim pain was huge and they loved it and then crowd came on and the impact wasn't there and that's when that show is, is the show that said okay agnostic front is the new new york hardcore punk band this is the band because crowd was always you know crowd got all the great gigs man crowd played with the clash uh uh, misfits i mean i can name bands that they play with they always had all the great gigs of course and they well very well deserved the crowd's one of my favorite bands mm-hmm. but that was the pivoting point where i think everything changed just like you said then all of a sudden after that's where okay this became hardcore and this became punk and crowd still had the the title on the punk thing and we became the title of the hardcore thing i guess that's what happened but uh it was never intentionally meant to be that way mm-hmm. uh I, I always thought it was just a a hardcore punk record, you know, I never look at it as, oh, it's a hardcore record, but I guess people do now. I don't know what to say anymore, you know, but all the bands back then to me were just hardcore punk bands, you know? Well, I think to me, it's like the, the apex of hardcore punk, you know, and that's why it becomes kind of ushers in the next era. Like that, that is like a flawless LP. Like that is a perfect record. 
in any genre. Well, I wouldn't say flawless. I, there's a lot of out of tune going on. <laughs> but, but that's what makes it perfect is because it's so raw. And like like you were saying, there's yes. an authenticity to AF and, and to New York hardcore that, you know, like you guys it's were captured. living it. It, yeah. It's captured on that record, man. It really is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That fucking, all the shit that was happening in New York City is so captured on that record. Even all the backlash of shit we were getting from like Max Rock and Roll and everything else is, and, and, and the cry for unity and, and bringing shit together. It's all captured on that record. The cover is phenomenal. It's, it's one of the most punk covers you could ever think of. And when you, I mean, I don't think there's many hardcore punk or punk or hardcore, whatever the fuck you want to say, covers that could top that. That's no. so like straight up punk is so attitude. So like you, when you look at this, you're shocked. And that was the whole thing about being punk rock. I mean, look, I was a punk rocker who politically incorrect was correct. You get it? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Now, now it's all about politically correct. And to us, politically incorrect was correct. You know, uh, upset the system, you know, against this, against that. Now everybody would kind of want to form and create groups and separations and and you're not punk rock because you don't do this. You're you're not vegan, so you're not straight edge. I mean, it's it's nuts. It's completely nuts. And back then, you know, our mission was just anti-war, anti-religion, anti-society. Period. Ian McKay's mission with this straight edge thing was just simple: don't drink, don't smoke, don't fuck. There was nothing else past that. Mm-hmm. Now all the other new rules that came along later are just insane. I mean, some of it you get with, you know. I mean, I'm not saying it's it's. Uh, it's it's just like it's insane to imply rules on on people. It was all about no rules, about doing what, you know, you know, just being yourself, being punk, you know. And I think those values are gone. Like I, th- I think that record, you know, and I think like you know the era that you're talking about, like it's just there was just so much anger coming out in the music, and it's just yeah. and it's it's even, different now. Even prior to our to that era, just. Think about this. Think about if the Sex Pistols was, was to release today, Nevermind the Bollocks. It was never released. Today is the first release of Nevermind the Bollocks. It wouldn't even get a tiny of the impact that it did in 1976. Oh, yeah. It, it would get destroyed PC-wise. It, it, it would be a giant flop. That's how different the errors are. That's how completely different it is. Well, like going back to this, the era, like one of the amazing connections that's always blown my mind is, is agnostic front and crucifix. And like, you know, they, they sort of like kinship between like these bands that are like miles apart, but also, you know, stylistically different, like, you know, visually very different and seemingly very different on all, all sides. How did that kind of come together? Yeah. Those guys are fucking mad cool. They came to New York and they stayed with us for three months. They stayed in the squat with me, you know, and we were friends. I, I still got letters. I found uh, parts of letters. I found one that uh, that was written to me from, um, it wasn't Sophia. I don't think it was Sophia. I think it was a bass player. Um, can't remember the top of my head. I still got it. Where they were, they were in the UK and they went to, they were fasted because they were so excited. They came to New York. They lived with us for like three months. We hung out. John Watson was the, went out with them and then he was a roadie and then when they came back you know like we were all buddies of course and we played shows together I mean we we sounded very differently but if you listen to some of the victim and pain you can hear some of that like some of that same it's just the musicianship our musicianship was different level than theirs I guess but you can still feel or hear some of the same stuff going on and they were more uh 
politically aware, us uh, uh, were politically aware stuff with their lyrics and stuff. We were more socially politically aware. But anyway, this is a really good story because then they went from from New York. They went to um, to the UK, and their 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 biggest dream and their their fantasy was to go live on the crass farm, which they went for like a, a, a half a year or something like that, and play shows with crass in the UK. It was like their dream. You know, wow. so then they're writing, they're writing us back all the stories saying how much of a nightmare, how much of this, how they hate it. And they came back. They're like, oh, we'll never do that shit again. And they were so <laughs> more connected with with what we were about than what all that whole really turning point with crash was starting to turn everything to a very more PC style. And they didn't want anything to do with that, even though they started from that. They're like, well, that's too much. You know, like, man, they don't know even know how to enjoy life these guys are like farming which they, they just they're like man new york city this is great let's go get a beer you know let's go have fun you know <laughs> they took all the punk out of it you know what i mean and i still got some of those letters man that so and you guys did like one tour with them or was it more than the one we never did a tour with Crucifix. oh oh i thought you guys did oh was it just a couple shows then one show at cbg this is all you'll ever see wow that's um, crazy i thought and, it was more than that no, and I, I, you know what's really cool too, uh, Damien. I've kept all the, um, you, you've seen that flyer. It's a classic flyer. Yeah, yeah, it's Vinny and, yeah, the the Vinny Unity and, flyer. Right, Vinny and and, and Joey Nails, and and that was, I have the the mock up to that. Oh, that's the so creation. awesome! It's incredible if you see the creation. Uh, I, I, you know, later on, when we hang up, give me your information. I'll send it to you. Oh, I'd love to see that. Like, holy shit. Yeah. Like the original, and then what it what it looks like. I mean, the mock up. I have the mock up of a lot of our flyers. I told you, I kept everything. Yeah. You, you think I'm nuts, but I guess I am nuts. Well, where did that but, come um, from? That where, one, where did that like? No, but like that's that's like you know because I think that that need to archive stuff is you know obviously hugely important and much more recognized now. But back then, you're like one of the few. I'd say you and Ian Mackay are some of the few people that kept everything. Yeah, I, I've kept. A lot. I've, in fact, I even had some stuff that was whipping that, that was mock up for whipping boy shows and stuff. I just sent it recently to Eugene and stuff. And um, Wait, I, I've got about whipping boy. Where was that in in New York? Well, you, yeah, Eugene used to hung out in the New York scene. Always oh. said he would come out and hang out with us. And whatever, it's not agnostic front and whipping boy. It's just I happen to have some of the whipping boy mock ups that they actually belong to Amy. And I ended up with him, and I just gave it to him because I figured he should have them. Yeah. But I have some of the F ones. I think I have like a good four of them still, and they're really cool. That's awesome. And uh, maybe I even have that Ritz one with the, the guys that chopped their heads are chopped off, suicide or agnostic front. <laughs> and it's like a punk hanging with a swastika thing, and another guy, and their heads are cut off. And I still have that one. I have the the one only. We played. Two rock against maximum rock and roll shows, one in San Francisco with the fuck ups. I love the fuck ups. <laughs> and, and verbal abuse played that show too. It was agnostic from the fuck ups, verbal abuse. What a fucking great show, man. You don't see shit like that anywhere anymore, you know? Is there a video and of that show? Riot- have you, have you, huh? Is there a video of that show? No, and it was a riot after that show. Uh, this guy Terry got his, his, his neck slashed. Uh, we had to take him to the hospital, pull threw him in our van. It was it was just like, fuck, such a great show. <laughs> <laughs> it was mixed with everything you would want when you go see an early Agnostic Front show. It was so good. Oh. But anyway, I had the mock up of the New York City version of that show, 
and uh, we had it had like a, it was rock against Max Marcarol, and it has like the swastika on it. But it was a guy crucified to a swastika, and it's supposed to be Timmy Johannan crucified to the swastika, kind of. You know, you know, it was just crazy. But that was a show at CBGB's, Rock Against Max Marcarol, like you know, mm-hmm. like you to find people to that aren't people. Like you know, we weren't like that. So stop fucking throwing us in that fucking bandwagon. Yeah, and shit. That. And and you know I I got a lot of cool stuff saved up. I told you that you know and some I'll share I'll share some of it with you if you if you if you want to see some of this stuff. Oh, I'd love to see uh, it, but I think you should share it with the. I think that this book's got to come out at some point because this would be uh, I don't know amazing to see all this stuff because it's, it's like you know such a, a pivotal band like as we were kind of talking about like it, it's such a, a massive shift that kind of happens through Agnostic Front. Yeah, I mean, I'm just I'm just. Uh, I'm happy I was a Pat Rack, you know, and some of this stuff survived, especially those United Blood tapes, you know? Yeah. And I'm, I'm, it's funny, like the other day I was looking at the back of the black, uh, the black versus the reap, the, combat re, the second, the third press, yeah, the combat pressing, and you know, that photo in the back that Amy took, it's me wearing that Agnostic uh, Front skinhead shirt, and I'm, st- I still have that shirt, that's a one of a kind shirt, it's a red, white, and blue, only red, white, and blue ever made, because I made it myself. And it's red, blue boots, red, uh, agnostifying skin and blue boots. And it's cut up like, just like that picture. I still have that shirt. I still have that bracelet. I still have that fucking <laughs> belt. I'm like looking at this shit. I'm like, holy fuck. <laughs> like, why did I keep this shit? And then, you know, what's really, really funny. Are you, you, you know, Ian, right? Ian McFarlane. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, Ian. well, he's been working on our film, the Godfathers of hardcore. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I he he did this beautiful recreated my squat room that's like amazing. a photo of my squat amazing it's like it's like looks real and I sent all my stuff for the people in the front of the film like he actually had like kind of like actors kind of like just then I weren't acting just like sleeping or guy fucking with the TV and they're wearing all my old shirts my my studs I, it's so like holy shit my room was recreated it's bananas it's totally insane but it's really cool and if it wasn't for me having all that old crowd shirt the guy's wearing um i forgot which other shirt they're wearing they're all mine and if it wasn't for that it would look so fucking real so great you know mm-hmm. well yeah and it's like it's just that that era it's just like there's something that you know you can't capture that again with recreations or like you know trying to fake it now it's got to be like it's authentic absolutely you know, anybody can can mimic something or yeah, anybody could get a haircut or look, look like a mimic. I mean, look, you go into hot, hot topics, you can not looking like whatever the fuck you want to look like, if, if you know what I mean. Yeah. But one thing you can't mimic is is that, that error. You can't mimic that danger. Mm-hmm. And, and you can't mimic that's where these bands came from. And I'm not – I mean, New York, of course, being really hard edge, but there's a lot of bands that came from those same dangerous elements. So your negative approaches – you know, these dangerous cities, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Cities in L.A. where there's always riots and stuff. A lot of bands came from this stuff. And you can mimic a sound, you can mimic a look, but you you can't mimic the that that element that created, that, that were the ingredients to these bands that really gave it that edge. You know what I mean? I think if Agnostic Front was a band that, let's just say, I'm not trying to knock on Kansas or nothing like that, because I'm just saying if we were a band from Kansas, and and we wouldn't probably have that edge or that anger that we had as because we were from New York City and shit was 
a shithole. You know what I mean? Yeah, and it's like and we were, I love the Orange Donuts we, record from Kansas, but it's different than Victim exactly. in Pain. <laughs> well, yeah, and I'm not trying to knock anything. I'm yeah, just saying yeah. that element from the city, that was an element of danger and, and fucking, you know, people getting mugged, people getting shot, people getting uh, – I mean, you had a son of Sam back then – Killing women. You had so much shit going on. Yeah, and you had the errors with the, with the lost power, garbage everywhere, abandoned. But it looked like a hellhole. Mm-hmm. And if it wasn't for that and all these thriving musicians and artists and these little fucking storefronts and stuff, I mean, I don't know what we would have sound like. I think that's part of our sound, part of our, you know, that secret ingredient. Mm-hmm. Well, you look at what come, came out of that time period in that city. It's like like my the two most important genres to me at least of the last <laughs> decades is is hardcore and and rap like and that comes out of the the same absolutely. sort of like struggle absolutely and the early rap i mean early rap i thought was, was i actually liked early rap and i thought the message was clearly the same message we were trying to come across hardcore wise punk wise mm-hmm. but it's not till it shifted and like, of course, even hardcore shifted. Not towards the end. Towards the end, that Yo MTV raps and that shit came out. That it started to get all gangster and stuff. And that's when I lost it. I'm like, you know what? This is not what it's not what KRS One was saying to me. You know, mm-hmm. it's you know, it's it just lost that. Like, I don't really care about the gangster stuff and 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 this stuff. I mean, I just you know, it doesn't have that the message it, it was initially set to be. And I think a lot of that happened with punk and hardcore anyway too. Yeah, like you know, you're, the analogy works both. I think in both places, from what you know. But um, Roger, I could talk to you forever, and I want to talk to you way I longer. I want to <laughs> <laughs> do a part two, definitely. But one thing before you go, because of this nature of this podcast, I got to ask you about one thing that's always boggled my mind, which AF was involved in, and that's that Matthew Barney film. How did AF wind up in that film? Matthew Barney is a huge agnostic front film and from the early days. And he his two favorite bands is Agnostic Front SSD Control. Wow. SSD SSD Control was supposed to play and I guess he, he's also uh he grew up in that era where there was the, the beef Boston New York beef. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's from that you know, Matthew Barney's an early punk hardcore kid and a, a guy kinda era guy, you know? Yeah. And SSD Control was supposed to be the other band. And they obviously Springer and Al couldn't get decided not to not to do it uh, really a week before. Wow. And Matthew was going nuts. He was, he was trying to, oh, my God, what should I do? And I remember we were in the middle of a tour. He flew us in for that stuff twice because uh, there was two different scenes. He flew us in twice. He had the whole Guggenheim Museum. We did that live. Everything's done live. Everything happening is live. Him climbing all those things is live. It was insane. It was completely insane. And he wrapped that Chrysler building live. That's not computing. There's no computer bullshit in this thing. Mm-hmm. He wrapped top of the fucking building. You know what I mean? Who the hell does that? Matthew Barney. He's got a lot of clout and a lot of respect in the art world, you know, and in the film world, you know, and in that art artsy film world. And he doesn't obviously, you know, he only makes one or two copies and he sells them for billions of dollars and that's it. But uh that's who, you know, he was at the time also going out he was also with Bjork. He has a child with Bjork. Mm-hmm. And he would come to our shows and and people would bother obviously because of Bjork, they would all come around and we we, we got we couldn't put him in anymore. But I remember the one show at Wetlands we had 
Bjork and Matthew Bonnie in the sound by the soundboard because it was just a little too crazy. But um, SSD Control decided not to do it. And uh, with a week's worth of time, um, I, I suggested Murphy's Law. I mean, Jimmy, you know, and, and I know he would do it. And it was great. It worked out. Murphy's Law was his other one of his other favorite bands. And it turned out to be us and Murphy's Law. It's a total crazy Masonic thing that he was doing and out of sequence. You know, he, did, he didn't do them like one, two, three, and four, or five, or four, whatever they have. He did like three and then two. and Or he just did them out of sequence, but that was part of the way he was doing it. Mm-hmm. It, it it was bizarre. It was even bizarre to watch because it's like watching a movie with no sound for like literally like almost three hours. It's crazy to watch. Oh, and wow. that car that crushed in the end, all the interior parts of that car that was crushed in the end, he gave to me and I ended up throwing my 32 Hot Rock Hoop. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah. So your, 30 ro- your, your car is now worth billions of dollars, theoretically, because you can now resell it as a piece of art. I never thought about that. Now you're making me feel bad because I sold it. It's in it's Italy. We'll buy it from back from the guy. Buy it back from the guy now before the podcast. Well, comes well none of you are going to broadcast this. Now I don't have the chance. I'll let it out. Don't worry. We'll get out of this part out if you want. <laughs> um, no, it's my brother. You know, one of my Rumblers brothers in Italy has it. So he okay. changed it all up anyway. Okay. Well, t- don't tell. Make sure not to get rid of those parts in particular. Um, yeah. Well, I, I think that, like, you know, like you're talking about, and it kind of brings this whole thing full circle. Like, that's that that art in the DNA of New York punk that uh, is, is still there. And like people that, you know, seeing you guys in a Matthew Barney film was one of the most shocking things I think I've ever witnessed in a movie theater, but it, you know, it makes perfect sense in a weird way. Yeah. I, I mean, it was, it was definitely weird. I have photos of that session. It was pretty cool photos. Like, you know, us with, you know, just weird photos. I yeah. still kept those. And like I say, I kept everything. Awesome. Well, Roger, please, can we do a part two at some point? Because I, you know, we barely scratched the surface we in this could, one. We could definitely do a part two, but you know, I like to mention that um, the book is definitely coming out August 20, 29th. I'm excited about it, you know, and um, it's 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 a it's a weird thing for me. It's it's a first for me. It's it's been a long way in the works. Started this thing back in 1999. It's been, uh, I'm glad it's finally done. I'm glad that uh, John kind of helped me finish it, which I'm really excited about. And all the, all the people are lesser gods. It went through like two or three different edits. Uh, I lost 21 pages or 27 pages in the edits, but it's okay. Maybe a second edition, I could throw in a couple more things. They wanted to keep it more readable and more you know, grab your attention. You don't want to put it down, which I think they did, which was great. Um, and, um, I'm happy that, you know, it's, it's, it's weird because I put myself out there and anybody that knows me knows I'm a very reserved guy. I was, I've always been into kind of an introverted reserved guy. So here I am putting myself out, but I, I really did this just so you know, Damon, I really did this basically for my children and my children's children, just so they could get a better understanding who their dad, grandpa was. And, and our, our struggles as an immigrant in this country and and everything I did t- for them to have a, a better life, I guess, because, you know, my children don't know what it's like to grow up in a squat or in those elements or those dangers or eat pigeons and just, you know, live like that, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think it's all important for them to share later on in their lives. I mean, there's some stuff that unfortunately is a drug abuse and stuff like that that. But it's a story, you know, and um, I'm glad that it's it's finally going to be out. I'm I'm excited, and lesser gods, 
is 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 the publishers that that publishers have put the book out. If and, you know, you should always if you if you want to hear about her or interested in buying, I think lessagods.com they have a website. I'm on Instagram, you know that Roger Moret, mm-hmm. uh, AF Facebook. It's in, it would also be um, we're posting some links to it as, as well as I will be on my own Instagram, Roger Moret. And um, it'll be available everywhere soon. Anywhere I go in the country, or I'm playing shows. If anybody shows up with the book and want me to tag it up, you know, I sure will. You know what I mean? And um, thank you for the support for all the years. Well, no, I, I as a as any book that comes out uh, about music, this is the one that I want to read most because I think, like you said, you're not someone that puts yourself out there a lot, you know. And I think you've got an interesting perspective. In the sense that you're you're one of these people that changed the face of this music in in so many ways, and to hear what it was like firsthand, you know, in your own words, is yeah, I can't wait to read this book. I'm going to demolish it. Well, thank you. You know, when we did our 25 year anniversary for our Victim of Pain record, it was very very special to us. We, the whole lineup play. I don't know if you remember that. That was 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, Finally, the Village Voice gave us the credit we actually deserved, and I was like, "Finally, they gave us a, 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 a page spread, and they claimed in their because they used to always attack us too, you know. Yeah, they claimed in their writing that that victim and pain is probably one of the, if any, the most important, crucial, and record in New York hardcore punk ever. It changed." music everything and then and that was and that was like wow okay finally some real recognition for something well deserved that we have deserved forever if you read about all these books on history and punk and all that stuff you always it always kind of that kind of starts with the pistols the you know the clash and again of course you've thrown the bad brains well very well deserved and then it jumps to nirvana like mm-hmm. what the fuck what mm-hmm. this should have happened before between there you know and they seem to not want to give recognition to what recognitions do and um, when the Village Voice did that, especially home base, I was like, "Wow, that meant a lot to me." Well, and it's funny because like it's it's amazing that it was so ignored for so long because there there wouldn't have been any of that grunge stuff had it not been for you know like Chris Novoselic wears an SSD shirt, you know, like if it hadn't been for like hardcore, there wouldn't have been any grunge. There wouldn't be alternative music. Like there's so many of those people that have roots back, like Jay Mascus being in Deep Wound, like all these like connections like the one wouldn't exist without the other exactly deep one is a great great seven i have seven inches a phenomenal seven inch really that's awesome have, do you ever see them live or no um i don't think i did I've, of course i saw every all the other band i, I saw the outpatients that's I, don't, awesome. I don't think i saw one and every, everything that i followed but it's a great seven inch i have so many seven inches that people give like i said band gave me gave me that i've never even played they're still like and when I say unplayed, unplayed, people are like, oh, how do you have unplayed records? Because I never played them. Yeah. <laughs> Every seeing the band, how many bands back touring from 1984 and on? How many bands we play with? And the first thing we all always do is give each other records. Yeah. yeah. Hey man, here's our new seven inch. So yeah, I I got them. You know, and I didn't have a turntable at all the time. But I just kept them. You know. Do you have a war zone with the lion sleeve? No, but I had the I had the aborted one, and the long story. I I actually I sold it with a green and an orange, uh, just to get deposit for for my uh, for my home I live in now. But I only did because I had doubles. Yeah, and, but I didn't have a double of the aborted. I regret that one. I had I still have my other 
the green and my other orange. I didn't have a double the aborted, which is the orange um, colored one. Yeah. And I regret selling it. But, but, you know, I, but at the same time, I, I wanted to put my family in a home, you know? Well, I was going to say, like, the fact that's that the only time. Well, the fact that you got to trade that, that, records for a house is amazing. Yeah. Well, as a down payment, of course, yeah. who knows if I'll live to see the end of it being paid. <laughs> but, you know, that was the, that was probably the only time I ever did. I've traded records a little bit later on, of course, too. But that was probably the only time I ever did anything like that till that point. The whole time I always kept shit. Mm-hmm. And I, I was like, all right, I guess I need I need the, the, the down payment. I need to do it, I guess. But I, I usually don't like doing that, <laughs> to be honest with you. You know, that's how personal, that's how attached I am to all my, I had a hard time parting with a carnivore flyer that I had two of them. <laughs> it was a carnivore, a flyer. And I had the hardest time parting with that. How crazy is that? Well, I, I just think it yeah. shows how important this stuff is, you know, like, and it shows how that you recognize that. Yeah. So weird. <laughs> <laughs> well, Roger, thank you again for coming on this show. And I, once again, I can't read to read the book. And hopefully come back for a part two, and I'm sure part three and four eventually one day. Okay, great, man. Thank you, Damien. I hope to see you soon, man. Absolutely. Thank you, Roger, for coming on the show. Now, you heard it there. Roger's going to be back for more parts because there's a lot more to get to. We barely, we, I, don't think we got, uh, I don't think we got much past uh, Victim in Pain at all. Uh, you know, so we're going to have Roger back for some more parts in the future. And yeah, that was a great opportunity. Thank you very much again to the fine folks at Lesser Gods for setting that up. My Ride Agnostic Front Grit, Guts, and Glory is coming out uh, this month. So grab that book. I, I'm definitely grabbing it. I cannot wait. Uh, and that is by Roger, of course, and John Widerhorn. So that is uh, coming out for you. Pick it up. Pick it up. Pick it up. And speaking of picking up next week on the show we are picking up one hell of an episode thank you once again to the fine folks at vans and the great people at house of vans and my buddy chuck and brooke i got to go back to chicago for another house of Vans show this time featuring the uh, like transcendently good i'm gonna say like a band that i was a fan of you know, definitely appreciated, but my God, am I a convert now having seen them live, uh, featuring Tim Kinsella of the legends cap in jazz, who I got to see that night. And it was one of my top 10 concerts I think I've ever seen. They were an incredible live band that was just God. I'll get more into that next week. Also, my buddies, Aiko and Atiba, the Blackouts, are also on the show. Two of the coolest people in the world. And I'm not just saying that because they're nice. I mean, like, literally two of the coolest people in the world. And I think you could actually quantify that and, and like, chart it out. And these guys would be, you know, right up there at the top of the list. You'll hear all about it next week on the show. It's a really awesome, live, fun show at the house of vans uh this is once again why i love vans so much for doing this because i got to go and do this thing and then you get to hear it you know and it didn't require me to lose tons of money like on that uh turn out a punk live tour you know I, i just got to go and do it and so hopefully i'll be getting to do more and bring this thing to you in the near future but 
what is happening in the immediate future is next week on the show, Tim and the Blackouts will be on the podcast, and it is a fun, fun episode. Well, that is it. I got to pack my bags for Japan. Thank you once again to uh, everyone, Roger, Tristan, all of you for listening. Um, Vans, definitely a huge thank you to the people at Vans and Vans for uh, helping me out with this show. And I guess that's it. I'm going to, I guess I'm going to see you next week. Uh, go out there and make your own culture because, you know, you don't even, you can't even imagine where it might take you. Uh, I've had a, a pretty, pretty incredible week of uh, that being bore out to me. So, you know, from Chicago to Japan, go out there and make your own culture because you never know what's going to happen. Uh, thank you everyone for listening. Uh, and I will see you next week from Japan.